Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Procina Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Amber Woodland, one of the attorneys at PWW Law, and today I'm super excited to be joined by Jeff Montgomery, president and owner of Montgomery Financial Services. We're going to be talking today about retirement accounts and planning for those, so let's just jump right in. Sure. Good morning. Good morning, Amber. How are you? I'm thanks for having so me. Well, thanks for being here. We sure. are so super excited. We feel like we have a podcast largely because of your guidance and expertise. So I, I definitely wanted to start out by just saying you have done an amazing job with the fiscal blueprint and we hope our Thank listeners you. will listen to you. Yeah, but you've taken it to a whole nother level here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, the video component can be a little scary, right, but right. I'm no, excited. this is great. Yeah. It's a great setup. Yeah. Awesome. So you have... Uh, extensive background in financial advising. You work with clients all across the Eastern Shore. Will you just do an introduction for our listeners about even what a retirement account is so that they can relate to what we're talking about today? Because I know you're probably like us. Almost every client we work with has some form of retirement account that sure. they have set up. Sure. I think when most people think of retirement accounts, they think of your typical 401ks, 403bs, which are, you know, um, not pro- nonprofit retirement accounts, 457bs, and traditional IRAs. They're usually called qualified accounts mm-hmm. because they qualify under ERISA mm-hmm. and that's an employer employer sponsored uh, retirement plan, but they're also non-qualified retirement accounts that kind of act like retirement accounts. And I think most people, when you're thinking about retirement, you're thinking about some type of advantage, mm-hmm. right? What's, what's the tax advantage of opening up a retirement account versus just a normal brokerage account. And that is the difference. And that's where retirement accounts really um, uh, uh, come into play. And because they have some significant tax advantages versus non-retirement accounts. And yeah, so we see that our clients in their working years have put money aside in qualified retirement plans, and then they reach retirement age and they start looking for advice. I think it's so important, and we believe that our clients need every finan- every advisor, including a financial advisor, an attorney, an accountant at the table to make sure that their plan is really going to be carried out the way they want it to. That's correct. The plan's yeah. a lot bigger than just the retirement account, yeah. right? There's yeah. a lot of moving parts, and that's, that's where a good tax accountant comes in, a good elder law firm comes in and a good financial advisor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah. We have clients sometimes who say, can you help me with my budget? Can you help me how to invest these assets? And we say, no, <laughs> we don't know anything about that. You need to go exactly. to a good advisor and get good advice. And then as you approach retirement age, how to pull money out of those accounts and how to fund retirement after you've no longer, you're no longer working. So yeah, that's super important. And, and with the tax aspect, you know, I believe in tax diversification. Um, I believe in having non-retirement accounts, you know, sure. it's liquid, you can get to it. No, you know, very few, if any penalties to take money out, having tax deferred accounts, right? This 401ks deferred, you're going to pay taxes later and having tax free accounts such as Roth IRAs are also important. So we call that tax diversification in our firm. And I think that's super important. And that gets to the point about where do you take money out 
when you no longer working, you no longer have that paycheck coming in. Right. Where's the money going to come from? Where's the income going to come from? So that's super, super important. Awesome. So the primary focus of our episode today is to talk about the SECURE Act. It's crazy because January 1st of 2020 is when this went into effect. And this year, I'm sure everyone can relate, has been a complete blur. I know. (laughs) And, And the poor SECURE Act has been a little overshadowed by everything else that's been going on. It has. Yeah. It, it really has. So will you just do a brief introduction for our listeners about even what the SECURE Act stands for? I think the acronym is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So we always talk about the uh, federal government Department of Acronyms yep. came up with the SECURE Act, and they worked overtime on this one. Yep. So it stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. Yep. What it stands for. Um I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. But anyway, um, (laughs) it's probably the biggest uh, change to our retirement system in decades. Mm -hmm. And there are some positive changes with the SECURE Act, Uh, again, effective January 1st of 2020. And then there's one big negative change that we've talked about with the SECURE Act. So um, it was it was passed on, um, I think the president signed it in late December, Mm -hmm. and it was was, uh, effective January 1st. But like you said, a lot of people forgot about it because here comes, you know, the coronavirus situation right. and it kind of got put on the wayside. So right. um, it is important to understand how it works, though. It's super important. And then the, the federal government passed the CARES Act, which we're going to talk about a little bit later and, and how that maybe impacted yeah. retirement planning, at least for 2020. So I'll be interested to hear what you have to and say I get about that. Questions about that. And people get confused about the SECURE Act and the CARES Act, right. you know, the different parts of it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So talk just a little bit about the two better parts. Okay. Okay. Of the secure act and why we think that those could be beneficial for people approaching. Okay. We'll go over the positives first. Okay. Okay. The first positive (laughs) is that prior to the secure act, if you were over the age of 70 and a half Mm -hmm. and you were still working, maybe you wanted to work part-time, who knows, maybe you had to work, uh, you could not fund a traditional IRA. You were not allowed. Now, you could always put money into a Roth IRA, Mm -hmm. even after age 70 and a half, uh, but you couldn't fund a traditional IRA. And with the passage of the SECURE Act, you can now fund a traditional IRA, even after the age of 70 and a half, as long as you have earned income. Mm -hmm. That's That's the main thing. You have to have earned income. So you have to be working wages, you know, those kind of things. Not investment income, not passive income, earned income. So if someone's 80 years old and they're still working because they're setting themselves up for retirement success, sure. then they could technically still contribute. You can still contribute to a traditional IRA. Now remember, and we'll get to this in a second, that you also have to take out of your retirement accounts after age 72. And that's one of the changes. Um, so it might be a wash, but still it's something that you can still do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a neat distinction that I don't think has occurred to me before yeah. at 72, you still have to take the required minimum distribution yet. Right. You could still be contributing you if you right. still have earned income. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So what about this whole concept of the required beginning date having been 70 and a half, the year in which a person turned 70 and a half and now it being 72, will you just elaborate on that just a little bit? So our listeners understand really what that means. I mean, folks who have already reached the the required beginning date understand, but maybe those approaching it don't. Okay. So they changed that as well. So prior to the SECURE Act, 
the year you turned 70 and a half, you had to take out your first required minimum distribution. And the federal government had a uniform life table and they estimated your life expectancy factor and they told you how much you had to take out. Mm -hmm. You have to, you had to take it out or else it was a 50% penalty, Mm -hmm. right? 50. Um, They did give you a little grace period till April 1st of the following year after you turned 70 and a half. And that always caused a lot of confusion for people because they didn't know when they turned 70 and a half. Um, but they eliminated that if you were born, if you were 70 and a half after 2020, they moved it to 72. So now remember, if you turn 70 and a half in 2019, you're under the old rules. Mm -hmm. But in 2020 now, um, the new required beginning date is 72. The year you turn 72, you have to take your first minimum distribution out of your IRA account. They do still give you a grace period. You still have until April 1st of the following year after you turn 72 to take out your first one. But we usually don't recommend that because you still have to take out the second one in that same year. And that could bump you up into a higher tax bracket because you're taking out double from your IRA account. Right. And the reason why that required beginning date is set by the government is because they want to start taxing. There's tax deferred savings. and And this is a little tidbit that I think is really interesting. The IRS or the federal government, let's say, they don't look at your IRA account as an asset. Mm. They look at it as income. Mm -hmm. They actually call it income. They call it IRD, Mm. which is income with respect to the decedent. Mm -hmm. You call it an asset. Mm -hmm. They call it income. Mm -hmm. So they want to get their hands on that tax money. Right. And, and that, Kind of leads into number three yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah, I think the biggest change, at least in it, with our the families that we serve and the families that you serve, probably is this idea that we have eliminated the opportunity in most cases for retirement accounts to be stretched after the original account owner's death. So talk, yeah. talk about how that's already impacted maybe some of the discussions you've had with your clients. And, and so our listeners really understand how this the accelerates the taxation of a retirement account. Yeah. So, so we went over two positives, right? Mm-hmm. The, the big negative with the secure act is it, it all but eliminated the stretch IRA. Mm-hmm. So prior to the Secure Act, if you left your IRA to a non-spouse beneficiary, that beneficiary could stretch out those payments, those minimum distributions over their life expectancy. So if you were like a 40-year-old, mm-hmm. you had a 43 and a half year life expectancy, according to the IRS, mm-hmm. that's a huge stretch out. That money would still continue to grow as you take out minimum payments. Mm-hmm a huge legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Now with the new Secure Act, a non-spouse beneficiary, there are some exceptions, right. but a non-spouse beneficiary uh, has to have that account drained within 10 years after the year of the death of the account owner. So they're accelerating the distributions, which means uh, more taxes faster. Right. Yeah. So in your example, we went from over 40 years to pull that money out of the inherited plan to 10 to years. 10 years, exactly. Right. And that could easily throw a beneficiary up into a higher tax bracket, causing those distributions to be taxed at higher rates. Exactly. And yeah. I think that that relates right back to what you were saying. When you look at the retirement account balance, it's not necessarily what you see on your statement right. because taxes haven't been paid yet. Exactly. And the, the IRS is trying to get their hands on that tax now sooner than they they ever have before. And then also think about it, you know, a lot of times parents will leave an IRA to a child and maybe it is the child's 40 or 50 years old. They're in their prime earning years. Right. They, they may be being, you know, at the highest salaries that they have 
here comes this IRA account on top of that other income, and that could shoot them up into a much higher tax bracket. Right. Yeah, so a couple exceptions that you mentioned. You know, with every good general rule, there are always exceptions. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest question that's come up for us after the passage of the SECURE Act is what about spouses? What happens if you're married and your primary beneficiary is your spouse? Are they subject to these rules? They are not. They are not. It's exactly the same as it was before. And as a matter of fact, um, a a spouse can actually treat the IRA, the inherited IRA, as their own. Mm -hmm. And they can actually, let's say they're under 72, they can actually treat it as their own and postpone their minimum distributions until they turn age 72. Right. So uh, that, for a spouse, everything is, is fine. It's, and there's a couple other exceptions. Um, a, a minor child, mm-hmm. and but it would have to be the account owner's minor child, not just some random yeah. minor child out there. The account and I think owners, importantly, not grandchildren. Not grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That does not count. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, if you're within 10 years mm-hmm. of age, if you're 10 years or less younger mm-hmm. than the account owner. Mm-hmm. So maybe a friend, you mm-hmm. leave your IRA to a friend mm-hmm. or maybe a sibling, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. within that 10 year period, they can still stretch it out among their life expectancy. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get into it too much, but the other exceptions we sometimes see is when there's a disabled beneficiary. So that is so important. If, if a person is planning and they have a loved one who is disabled, that they plan for every asset, not just the retirement plan. We use yes. different types of trust and things like that. But so I had a meeting with a client a couple months back who has substantial savings and retirement plans, had originally planned for those assets to go funnel through a trust at his death. And we had to have a conversation now after passage of the SECURE Act about how that's different and how maybe we should restructure the plan. So I want to talk a little bit about planning strategies that have come up as a result of the passage of the SECURE Act. So I think one of the easiest things to consider is Retirement accounts name individual beneficiaries. They typically name in a married couple, the spouse, and then maybe the children or the grandchildren. So accepting the 10-year payout requirement is just something people are going to sure. have to do. I and hear a it all lot the time. of people are going to just do that. But I think to your point about the children could possibly be in the highest tax bracket mm-hmm. at the time that they receive the IRA balance, maybe it's an opportunity to leave it to the next generation. Skip, skip a generation. Still subject yeah. to the 10-year yeah. rule, yeah. but in a lower tax bracket. Correct. So are Correct. you seeing that? I don't see that too often. Um, there's a couple other things that we 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 see. I mean, that's definitely something you can do. Accept it. I see the uh, I see accepting the ten year. Yeah. You know, I hear yeah. it all the time. You know, hey, they're going to get the money. I'm going to be gone. Right. I'm okay with it. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I hear I hear that all the time. But I don't see the second one where they skip a generation. Usually, I see it. They're leaving it to the primary beneficiary, which is their spouse, mm-hmm. and then they'll have contingent beneficiaries, which are the kids. Yeah. So what if they are charitably inclined? Could they name, could a client who has qualified retirement plans leave a charity as a beneficiary? And, and is that subject to the rules of the SECURE Act? Yeah. Um, you know, that's something where you are probably going to come into play mm-hmm. quite a bit with uh, charitable remainder trust. Mm-hmm. I can see that for, especially if there is a account owner that is, um, Inclined, charitably inclined, mm-hmm, right? right? They want to leave a legacy to their kids. They want the kids to stretch it out as much as possible, but also leave something for a charity. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely see a charitable remainder trust, a CRT, mm-hmm. um, playing uh, into that uh, planning for, for those type of folks that are 
inclined to give something to charity. I'm thinking about clients. I have married couple, but they have no children and they are very charitably inclined. And in our design meeting, we actually drew a line on the piece of paper. We put their non-retirement accounts on the left side and we put their retirement plans on the right side. And we said, let's leave your retirement plans to your charities. Because if we do that, they're not going to pay taxes on that money. And then we'll leave all of your non-retirement plans to your individual siblings, nieces, nephews, every, all the other individuals in your family. So I think that that creates for the right family, a really cool planning opportunity. We could leverage the retirement plans by leaving those to charity for someone who's charitably inclined. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So that's been, that's been a neat difference. I think that, that maybe we, we now realize this money is going to be taxed. We've always known if we leave it to charity, it's not taxed, but now even more so under the secure act, it creates a great opportunity to eliminate the taxes. Yeah. Great plan. Yeah. So, uh, Using trust, I do want to talk about just just briefly because that's something kind of on our end that right. we we create retirement account trust when it's the right fit. So sometimes listeners or or prospective clients think that they have to have it all figured out before they walk into our offices. Well, that's our job, and we it's our job to figure out is a trust to receive a retirement account the right fit right. upon uh, uh, their deaths, and sometimes it is, and that's because maybe their beneficiaries have risks sure subject to divorce or bankruptcy dependent on government benefits have large creditors we sometimes use trust as beneficiaries on IRAs even if it means paying more taxes paying more taxes exactly yeah. right. so i think the message that i want to send in talking about this topic is there's no one size fits all plan that's true it is it is very unique under every very family's yes yeah, different circumstances exactly one of the things I'm super excited for you to talk about are the potential benefits of doing Roth conversions under okay. the SECURE Act, because I have identified on a number of occasions, families who've come into the office, they have large pre-tax retirement accounts, their kids are in high tax brackets, and what a Roth conversion might look like for them under the SECURE under Act. Under the SECURE Act, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it is a, it's going to be a planning strategy, uh, I think, is you're going to see a lot. Uh, especially with our tax code, which is set to expire in 2025 and go back to the rules prior to uh, 2018. Um, We'll see what happens, but it might change earlier than that. But a Roth conversion is you're converting a traditional IRA Mm -hmm. to a Roth IRA. Now, remember with the SECURE Act, there is still a 10-year rule on a Roth IRA to a non-spouse beneficiary. However, if it is in a Roth, you leave a Roth IRA to a non-spouse beneficiary it's tax free. Mm-hmm. They could literally leave that alone for 10 years mm-hmm. and let it grow for 10 years tax free and then take it all out In the on the year. very last day uh-huh. of the 10th year and it all be tax free. So in that situation, mom and dad mm-hmm. would have to start doing Roth conversions and usually it doesn't make sense to do it all at once, right. do a little bit at a time mm-hmm. because you have to pay taxes when you do a conversion from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. But with the SECURE Act, we are definitely seeing that. And also with what happened with the coronavirus, we're seeing Roth conversions more and more and more. We 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 talk about them all the time with our clients. There's a lot of moving parts with Roth conversions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we pull in a CPA, we pull in elder law attorneys, mm-hmm. and we say, hey, does this make sense in this plan? Because it's very individual. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it, it, it's something to consider, something to look at. Yeah. I think that that's, we, we spot the issue and then we say, let the financial advisor and accountant figure out how and when yeah. these Roth conversions should actually happen. Exactly. But I think it's such a, an important distinction about the, the 10 year rule. I think the biggest question is, so do my kids have to pull it out in 10 equal shares over 10 years for a traditional account? Could they take it all in year one? Could they wait until year 10? There isn't any yes. guidance <laughs> yes. on that. Yes. Yeah. So with the Roth, what's great about that is they don't have to worry about it until the last day, like you said, of the 10th year, and they could take it all. And all that growth over that 10-year period is completely tax-free. It's tax-free. Exactly. So you bite yeah. the tax bullet up front. But yeah. the potential for growth and and savings and that legacy is, I think, tremendous now yeah. under these we, rules. We all, when we talk about the difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, we talk about, we use a farming analogy. Okay. Like, would you rather pay tax on the seed or would you rather pay tax on the harvest? Well, most people would say, I'd rather pay tax on the seed because I have no idea how wild or large my fields could grow. right. And that is a Roth IRA. You're paying tax up front, mm -hmm. but it's going to grow tax-free. Yeah. So I really, really like that analogy. analogy. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So as we wrap up, I mentioned the CARES Act earlier, and that was passed just recently in 2020. And that there are lots of different components to the CARES Act, but how it impacted the requirement to take a distribution if a person has reached their required beginning date, either of 70 and a half right. prior to 2019 or 72. What's your guidance on, well, I guess, could you explain the rule and then how you're guiding your clients on whether they should actually be taking their required distribution? Yeah, issue? and it changed. The, the, the rule, um, as far as from the IRS, they put out guidance numerous times during the year. It changed because I had some people that took out their requirement distributions in January for 2020, sure. or they're on a systematic withdrawal, mm -hmm. right? They're getting it monthly. Mm -hmm. And the rule, basically, mm -hmm. the rule is that they waive the RMD for 2020. You do not have to take out your minimum distribution in the year of 2020. There essentially is no RMD. Mm -hmm. You can still take a withdrawal. You could still take your requirement distribution if you need the money to live on, right? right. So you can still do that, um, but you're not required to take it out. So a lot of the, the questions uh, involved, hey, I already took it out. Can I put it back in? Mm -hmm. Right. And this is what changed. And I think they finalized it and said, okay, if you had taken out a required minimum distribution from January mm -hmm. all the way through to August 31st, mm -hmm. you could put it back in. So the new rule is August 31st. That could change again. We know how, how sure. things happen, but you could put that back in. But my guidance, um, especially since the market dropped and usually you don't want to take out a minimum distribution because you have to sell assets and you're selling at a low price. Mm -hmm. If you don't need the money, mm -hmm. don't take out the minimum distribution. And of course, many clients listened to that advice. They did not take it out in March or in April. And of course the market did rebound mm -hmm. markets. They usually do. Mm -hmm. We can't predict it, but mm -hmm. they usually rebound. Um, and they're much better off because they did not have to sell those assets at that low price back in March or April or, you know, even June. Gotcha. So as we are nearing the end of a calendar year, and it, it, I guess the advice to any listener would be talk to your advisor exactly. about whether or not to take the required minimum distribution under the CARES Act in 2020 or not. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Well, Jeff, you have been awesome. Thank you for your guidance. Thanks for having and, me. And yeah, it's been fun. So hopefully we'll have you back okay. sometime. Sounds great. All right. All right awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Two other strategies. Uh, yeah. right? Two other uh, strategies. So a disclaim strategy. And I've used this a couple times mm -hmm. this year. 
as long as you have a contingent beneficiary listed on the account, um, the primary beneficiary can disclaim all or a portion mm -hmm. of the inheritance. And I use an example, like let's say um, a high net worth individual, mm -hmm. let's say mom and dad, and there's a daughter, right? $2 million IRA. Dad passes away. Mm -hmm. Okay. He can leave the 2 million to mom, mm -hmm. primary beneficiary. And let's say the daughter is listed as the contingent beneficiary. Mom could disclaim a portion of that $2 million. Mm -hmm. She can say, I'm going to disclaim a million of it and leave it to the contingent beneficiary, their daughter. Their daughter can then has a 10 year rule on that million. Mm -hmm. Now let's say mom passes away 10 years later. Mm -hmm. Daughter is named as the primary beneficiary on that account. She has a new 10 year schedule on that second million. So essentially stretched it out for 20 years. Right. So we've seen that strategy uh, a few times. And then of course, life insurance. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients say, Jeff, I don't need my minimum distribution. I don't want it. The government's making me take it. What can I do with it? And you could leverage that. You could put that into a life insurance policy. Life insurance, death benefits are tax-free. And if you have a large IRA and you don't need the money and you are legacy, legacy inclined, mm -hmm. you can create a life insurance policy and that life insurance can pay the taxes on the IRA. So smart. Yeah. So, That's awesome. Just a few things. Yeah. Great. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being with us today on Off the Clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.